I, I hid, you know, I, I hid in an operational role behind my desk for a long time. And I think if somebody had forced me out sooner than I managed to recognise it for myself, I might be a bit further forward. I certainly would have realised what I love a lot sooner. Hello and welcome to the new and improved Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. A Pinpoint Media production, this isn't a podcast about the millions, the fast cars and the large houses associated with so many entrepreneurs. Instead, it's about the barriers, the mistakes, the naivety and the drive. This is a reality check. What does it take to start a business and how do you turn your idea into a success? Well, join me to find out from those that are doing just that. In today's episode of Success is in the Mind, I speak to female leader, mentor, local enterprise board member, NED, and if that's not enough, CEO of Bamboo Technologies, Lauren White. Lauren, who's headed up Bamboo for nearly 20 years, has overseen the business's significant growth and service diversification. From acquisitions to the Internet of Things, Bamboo are currently rolling out, in partnership with City Fibre, the installation of ultra-fast connectivity to businesses, the public sector, and domestic users in Cheltenham, which alone over the next 15 years will be worth some $765 million to GDP. This has got a little surprise in, so stay tuned. It is a good one. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Oliver. I'm looking forward to this. So the first and maybe the most obvious question that I'd kind of like to ask is, you know, unlike a lot of people that we've interviewed on this podcast, you are typical entrepreneurs. You're very much leader orientated. You're now the CEO uh, of, of Bamboo, but you do a lot of other philanthropic uh, things as well, such as, you know, uh, mentorship and being an NED. So, you know, how did you A, get into the role that you're currently in and B, how did you find the time to actually work with other businesses? Well, uh, well, the, the role I'm currently in, I suppose, um, that there's a number of those. Um, so obviously, as you said, um, the CEO of Bamboo, that was a, a, a long journey um, <laughs> that started 19 years ago. Um, and that really was a, as a foot in the door as an admin assistant. And um, I've just grown grown up, I suppose, uh, matured with the company and, and took every opportunity that was put in front of me, really. So that feels very much to me like a very natural, slowly and carefully crafted journey. And, and along the way, I don't know, it's something about maybe the community that I've, I've operated in or the people that I know. Uh, but there's just sort of been a few, a few questions get raised here and there. What, do, what have you done in this situation? What do you do here? And, and inevitably, you end up finding yourself in a position whereby you're offering advice. I don't know if it's something in my nature, but I, I'm one of those people that always offers help. So as soon as I see that somebody's needing a little bit of advice or some guidance or they need some of your time, or even if it's just a bit of a sounding board, I just naturally find myself um, putting an offer out there to, to spend some time. That's really good because it's interesting that you... I suppose, have mentored for the majority of your career as well, though, because what was it, 2011, you started mentoring, you're now working, I suppose it's uh, free for the LEP, there's no payment there, is there? That's more for the greater good of the community, right? Absolutely, yeah, the LEP was, um, yeah, that was quite interesting. I think I'd always wanted to get involved in something that served the community and the county in a much better way. It's it's very easy to become quite focused and very kind of one-eyed, I suppose, about the business that you're in, because that's what, you know, your, your main role is to encourage uh, new opportunities and, and make sure everything runs all the time and it's abs- it's all consuming I do obviously I have done some mentoring and NED roles over the years um, and they've been paid roles but I think I get much more out of the ones where you're doing it because it actually it means something it's not about oh, how much you know how much more can I chuck in the bank what, <laughs> how nice a holiday can I have this year yeah uh, actually if you're delivering more and you can see that there are real benefits coming from that activity then it then it that's, 
I don't know, much more fulfilling. Much more rewarding indeed. And, and going back, I suppose, to pre-Bamboo, you were you were working in pensions, was it not, in sort of just before 2002? Then you joined and took the reins over at Bamboo and you were kind of thrown into the world of tech and digital. And that was a good move because it's kind of the way the world's gone over the last 19 years. Yeah, I'd love to say that that was a deliberate move um, <laughs> because that would make it look like I had a plan. It's uh, a strategy of some sort. Yeah, yeah. no strategy whatsoever. Um, it, it was very simple for me. I, yeah, I, I moved to Cheltenham actually with my first husband. And um, as many first marriages do, that went a little uh, awry. And so I was in Cheltenham, which is a rather an expensive place to live, with two young children. I decided that um, pensions, I gave it a go like everybody else did, I think, in Cheltenham. You end up working for Eagle Star, but it wasn't really enough. And I ended up leaving in the end anyway to have my second child. And that was at the point at which, you know, the marriage went a little bit odd. After that, I went back into work and I found myself a role. Actually, that was a software company um, and they were headquartered in um, Frankfurt. Oh, right. Okay. And they had an office, yeah, on Imperial Square, tiny little office. And I got involved in the finance team there and, and, and gradually, as is always the case, whenever I go and work, I ended up looking after the project costs uh, on the um, which were global. And they were at that time building trading platforms um, for the international banks. Wow. OK, that must have been quite interesting. Really interesting, although I only had a very, very small role in uh, on an admin side of it. But I was offered a job in Frankfurt. I said I'd take it, made all the plans, looked at international schools, and about six weeks before I was due to go, I had a little bit of a flutter and I thought, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing here. I've you know, managed to stand on my own two feet as a single mum here in Cheltenham. It's a beautiful place to live. It has a fantastic nightlife, had a good group of friends, and I actually backed out. Really? Yep. Got cold feet. I did get cold feet. Yeah, probably the. Do you regret that? I do a little bit. Yeah, although I wouldn't be where I am today if if I hadn't made that decision. But yeah, I don't think I ever backed out of a decision after that. So did you stay at the company uh, that was supposed to post you to Frankfurt, or was that when you jumped ship and and then went to go and work for Bamboo? Uh, a few weeks later, I was made redundant because they closed the UK office. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> so that kicked you into gear somewhat as well. It did. Yeah, yeah. And really, I think it was it was a position where I just hadn't really considered what was in front of me. I had no idea really what was around me. I, I was just in the moment of the job. And then I did a little bit of temping, as everybody does. And then I got this role at this company called Total. Oh, OK. OK. Which is what Bamboo was called back in 2002. Because it was founded in, what, 1998? Is that right? That's right, Fine. yeah. And then it was rebranded. And the founder's still involved, isn't he, on the board? He is, yeah. Stuart, yeah. I've worked with Stuart for a long time now, obviously. Um, yeah, so Stuart started it in his in his back bedroom, really. It was He was kind of repairing... PCs and and mobile handsets at the time and I, he just had the idea that it was you know what if we could have a one-stop shop where people could come for all of their comms at the time mobile phones were still new really I mean I remember when I joined the company the only thing I really knew how to do on my phone was text and I used to get horrific bills <laughs> <laughs> because that's just what you did back then and it cost a fortune yes but it moved very quickly so um, yeah so I went there I had a, a fantastic interview and you know, it was a smelly little office. 
gritty but functional i can imagine yeah i think that's a really good way of putting it yeah <laughs> but it was i'm assuming quite back in the day quite male dominated and correct me if i'm wrong but you, you kind of look back at it 10 15 years ago and go okay so there was a lot of i suppose testosterone in there because i suppose it was you know sort of unregulated they could shift things at some prices and buy great kit and it's all very exciting but you've come into the mix you've led the team you've grown the team over the last 19 years and you're now the head of the company as a, as a ceo now you're obviously a female in business. Did you come up against any major barriers back in the day or, you know, indeed currently? No barriers, no. And I, I firmly believe, and maybe I have the luxury of being able to say this because of the people that I work with, that the only barriers really were any that I put in place for myself. Right. My personal belief of what I could achieve. The team I work with gave me, you know, I would have to go in there and fight for some of those opportunities. But that's how it should be, I think. I don't I don't think you should be handed anything on a plate. If you really want something, you have to put your heart and mind to it and make it happen. So, no, they never, ever held me back. I did have a few interesting episodes, though. Hugely male-dominated. I was the only female in the business um, for some time. You know, I've got stories of older guys, you know, smacking bottoms and things like that. You know, it's not something that should have happened, no. but it did. I had a guy, I won't say his name because it's not fair, it was a long time <laughs> ago, um, and he was quite a bit older, and he, and he smacked my bottom a couple of times. And I remember going to the MD at the time and saying, right, that's it, he's done it twice now. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you now, if he does it a third time, I am going to turn around and probably slap him back. <laughs> and the response that I got was, can I be there when you do it? <laughs> and what did you say to that? <laughs> well, the, nothing really. It was, I suppose I laughed it off. I know, but that was the wrong response. It was, yeah. And, and I look back at it now and I think, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm very fortunate that that was only... You know, I only dealt with very small things like that. I got asked some ridiculous questions over the mm-hmm. t- over my time. You know, how many people did you sleep with to get that role? Mm-hmm. All those kind of things. Really, really offensive. Usually. But you know what? I'm a, I'm a stronger person for it. And like I said, I'm grateful. Maybe I just have that attitude where, you know what? You, you kind of deal with those things and you suck it up and you take it and you notch it up as experience and you move on to the next one. And that's quite thick-skinned and... And impressive because not a lot of people would look at it in such a way and, and, and brush it off. But if we just dial back to childhood then and parents and what they did as a career, do you think you learned some resilience um, from them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My parents uh, are amazing people. Um, so my um, parents both fostered, actually. So my, my dad was in the RAF. Yep. Um, so we moved around as children, not a huge amount, not not like some did all over the world we kind of had i'm from the same i've been all over the place uh, which is great i think at the time difficult i remember as a Mm. teenager moving into a school at sort of 13 years old where all the friendship groups had already been established and i came in as the you know ex-forces into a civilian school oh it was just really tough but you know it's, it's what makes you who you are but so he my father was in the forces both my grandparents were in the forces and i think there's a real sense of duty there and that's kind of been instilled into us as we've grown up. So I have um, three brothers as well. So my parents fostered. My mum okay. brought us all up. We took in, I think it was sort of nearly 30 children. Um, yeah, over <laughs> over a period of time. And then when that finished, my mum then went to go and work in child protection with social services. And I, I still, I wonder now how, how she did it to compartmentalise some of the horrors 
of what she was dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis to then come home and be, you know, the sound, solid parent um, w was just incredible. And I think they, both my parents have always been like that. My, my brothers have got quite interesting stories as well. When I was 18, my older brother had a terrible, terrible accident and paralysed his right arm. And he has an amazing story. And I, yeah, I kind of look back at these things and think they've definitely instilled a sense of resilience and fortitude to just, you just keep going. That's what you do. Yeah, stiff up a lip, really. I mean, do you think you can be born a leader or can you learn to be a leader? Because you have to have a certain amount of resilience to be able to lead. I'm not saying necessarily you need to be fully naive when you start a business either. You have to understand what you're going into. But do you think you can learn this or is it sort of hereditary? If you'd have asked me that 15 years ago, I would have said, no, you can't teach it. But I would have said that because I was nervous, shy, didn't really know who I was. When did you find yourself? It's been gradual over the years, but I think there was a real turning point. I did Myers-Briggs with a consultant. Oh, yeah. Love a Myers-Briggs test. Oh, I, lo I love all the profiling stuff. I think it's fantastic. What are you? Um, I was an ENTP. Oh, I'm an ENTJ. Okay, so not far off. Well, see, what I found intriguing was when I did that, I I remember sitting with the lady who did it with me and she said to me, right, before we go into all of the results and we'll, we'll talk it through, what do you think are your results? And I said, oh, I'm definitely going to be over on the introversion scale. You know, I'm going to be right up there at the end. I really struggle with confidence. You know, I, I don't, I'm not good with confrontation. I'd hide away if I can. And she said to me, well, wow, that really surprises me because I would have said the complete opposite about you from what I know about you already. Well, you seem quite self-aware just by making that source of judgment to a certain extent, or at least confident enough to be self-deprecating, which in and of itself is a confident thing. Yeah, which I suppose, on reflection, I would say, yeah, I agree with you. But but at the time, I didn't. And uh, and when she showed me the results, and and I was right up at the other end of the scale <laughs> on the extra version. I was like, what? What is that about? That is not <laughs> who I am. When you get quite drunk, though, do you get quite leery and have a good time and make sure everyone's looking up, you're looking after everybody? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, of course I do. I love a good dance. I love messing around. I love being silly. Um, <laughs> Because you've got to have fun, haven't you? Life's about it would indeed, fun. Indeed, you do. You do. And, and in terms of being confident and being an extrovert, I mean, that goes hand in hand with, with being a leader or a commander, I suppose. Going into the kind of the board structure that you have, because you have, I think there's five on the board, including yourself and including uh, Stuart Davis, who founded it. Do you ever come up against them or him as a founder pushing back and just generally saying no when you know as a, as a CEO it's the right thing to do, but as the founder it's his baby? Is there a sort of amount of friction there ever? Not really, no. It's it's not something that I'm sure it's happened over the years. But I suppose whenever I go into the boardroom, I've always been the same. If I if I want something to happen, or I genuinely believe it's the right thing for the business or the individual or whatever it is that we're talking about, I don't go in without fully researching and prepping. And every time I go in, it will be with the base that I have gone round the entire. Um, thing, whatever it might be, um, and look to every possible angle and view and be able to answer the questions. So it's very rarely, unless it's the nitty gritty of finances, because frankly, I don't ever want to be an accountant. <laughs> Why is that? You just don't enjoy numbers. I, do you know, I love numbers. I just, 
you know what, just you know, journals and moving numbers around, it's not my thing. It gives you a headache. Yeah, it's like so, somebody else can do that. Um, <laughs> as long as I, as long as the numbers look the right way, uh, then, yeah, then it's good. Not too negative, the more exactly, right. So you're doing yeah. the right thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that's you know, I, I just go round uh, a, a problem and make sure that any objection I've got the answer to. It doesn't mean that I'm not prepared to flex. So I'm not saying that I'm very rigid in my view. You know, the worst thing that could happen for me is if I came away from a board meeting with a no to a proposal that I'd put forward. Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, Blocks and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Blocks and ethos, combining big thinking with big results. They simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. And looking at strategic decisions and, and, and you kind of looking at all the options and then making something happen, in 2019, you guys acquired TechOps. Um, what was the sort of strategic plan behind that? Was that to diversify service offering or just to buy up competition? No, definitely diversifying. We, uh, traditional telcos, uh, you'll know because, uh, you know, as every business knows, the, pr- the cost of comms has come down considerably over the last 10 years. It's almost and, affordable now. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> You don't make much margin on it. So, um, you know, margin has very much uh, eroded over the last 10 years to the extent that a lot of those services have become, I suppose, quite commoditized in order for you to stay relevant, uh, to be able to uh, accommodate that sort of business in the SME, small corporate space, you need to be able to create margin in other areas. And uh, IT managed service was was exactly where we saw that. The beauty of TechOp is that they actually had this fantastic little gem that nobody really knew about. And we, we still don't shout a, a huge amount about it. But they had software development team, um, which obviously we still have, who created software for the justice sector. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so there are long-term contracts that exist in the immigration um, and prisoner transportation um, sector. That's nice and sustainable. Uh, Well, (laughs) sadly, it is. And I think we knew that that was kind of the jewel in the crown. So the IT managed service um, part of what we brought in was essential for us to develop our core offering. Mm -hmm. But the justice sector proposition was really something quite unique and, and remains that way and now we are further putting further development and investment into that because it's um as you say it's exceptionally sustainable and and contracts that exist that are sort of 10 years plus are are very attractive and it's so interesting because we've not had on this podcast i think we've done nearly 30 33 episodes now anyone that's actually acquired a business we've had someone that sold a business founded businesses etc but not somebody that's acquired a business so what does that process look like when you want to go and you know uh, prospect the purchase of a business how do you go about doing that a uh, number of different ways. You can go to um, any number of uh, brokers that are out there. Um, obviously, you know you don't have to go far to look for, for um, people who are operating in the M&A space who would happily take a, a cut of a transaction. But it's not the way that we did it. We're very much about building relationships with people. And so when we have 
an acquisition target. We caught that target for a period of time because actually fundamentally you need to understand whether or not you're going to get on with the people that run that business. If that is what your agenda is, if you are running an acquisition program that is literally you know, it's a, it's a buy and build. It's a, you know, take out the costs on day one. That's different. That's not the kind of acquisition trail that we're on. We're about sort of quality partnerships and long-term. Is there anyone else in the pipeline then? Of course there is. Care to share? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that would be a punt. But um, (laughs) I I mean, because you guys are still, you're growing rapidly though. You've done incredibly over the last couple of years and you haven't really been impacted during the pandemic at all, really, have you? No, no, we haven't. What, what's quite interesting is that I think there is a perception in the marketplace that we have grown rapidly. Um, but I'm sure some people listening to this will go away and have a look at our accounts and go, well, no, they haven't. Treading waters, OK, during the pandemic. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we've been through probably, if, actually, my whole tenure as, as MD was taking us through a transition programme. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we've had years where um, we showed a loss in our accounts because we made a very deliberate decision to invest in our systems and our accreditations. So, you know, there's there's fluctuations in our numbers that, you know, we don't follow the traditional route of, a you know, an upward curve. But that's, you know, that's coming now. But surely the only point you want to do that is when you're looking to exit or sell the business yourself, right? Because you're wanting the EBIT to be as great as it possibly can be. But if you just wanted to better the company, then making a loss is not always a bad thing. No, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I think the, the rest of my board would, would completely um, share that, that view, that you have to. You, you can't expect results without investing. Things, and and it, that's great for me. I don't like things staying the same anyway. I, I you know, kind of need to change. I need, need to push things forward. You need to push the envelope all the time. And, and that ability to kind of invest in the business and, you know, obtain your ISO accreditations and implement new systems and review your internal infrastructure, all those kind of things. And, you know, along with business as usual, that takes time, that takes money. I would love to say that we've been through a digital transformation program that we did in 12 months, but that's complete rubbish. <laughs> and anybody that tells you that that's achievable, I think, in 12 months and continue to run business as usual. Hasn't implemented it correctly. Exactly. <laughs> if you're properly transitioning your business and transforming it for the digital age, mm-hmm. then, um, yeah, it takes a lot longer. And, and it isn't something that has a start and an end. No. It has a start. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just on goes for, for the next couple of years. And, and looking at the experience and the knowledge and the fact that you know how to transition and you know how to implement change is that one of the reasons that oasis or uh, open administrative administration systems decided to instruct you to be an ned for them or was that you very much just liking them as a business and wanting to help them but both but both um i i kind of got to know them on a personal level through a neighbor actually <laughs> many years ago <laughs> and they're very different business um so their their services are outsourced accountancy for the hospitality industry so for me that was something completely different ironic as well because you said earlier you didn't like accounts but <laughs> exactly yeah and, and believe me i never got involved in any of the accounts <laughs> but it was all the people it was all the people yes. stuff um you know that fantastic guy that leads the business but he was holding the whole business and all of that responsibility on his shoulders alone and he what he really needed was to put a management team in place and he had some very loyal long-standing staff Um, He had teams of people that were kind of up and coming, but they were struggling a little bit with how to do that. And bless him, I'm sure he won't mind me saying that, you know, some time ago he went away for a two week holiday in the hope to get some kind of R&R. And 
when he came back, I think he had so many issues to deal with that it felt like that was a completely pointless two weeks. Um, and that was really what he, he wanted me to come and do was work with him and help him to build that executive team so that he could step away a little bit more. And how did you go about doing that? Because there's a lot of people I speak to who have mentors and NEDs. Do you think one is better than the other or are they both completely different? Well, yeah, I think they are different. The NED um, came later um, and, and really it was very much about the sort of mentoring and being that sounding board, uh, but also going in and understanding the team and and I always think that when you're outside you see a bit more this is my father-in-law's term actually the onlooker always sees more of the game smart I like that that's really nice yeah that's great and when when you go into a business for the first time and you don't know anybody in it other than you've spent a couple of hours with the owner who tells you of their challenges you could you go in with a fresh sheet you know blank page okay who are these people I'm going to determine in my mind what I think their strengths and weaknesses are I'm going to, you know and I spent an hour with every single member of staff just to try and understand what their motivations were why they were there what they wanted to achieve all that kind of stuff and and you inevitably find yourself identifying the people who you believe will help take the business to the next stage and then you end up mentoring those individuals so you find yourself moving um, almost away from the kind of ownership into the leadership and then that naturally that naturally then because you become much more knowledgeable about the business and the processes then I think at that point then the NED bit became relevant because actually I then needed to step away again and and only come in on a sort of monthly basis for a board meeting or to help them run a strategy session around their messaging or whatever it might be so yeah they're, they're two very different things and i think that the requirements and the timings are different as well that it's about the needs of the business at the time mm-hmm. and it, i mean in terms of you you alluded to the fact that this chappy went on holiday for two weeks and i i know only too well what it's like to go on holiday and come back and realize that actually that was the worst thing to do <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of in terms of routine and in terms of how you manage your specific life do you actually have a because a lot of senior people do a structure and a plan as to what your day looks like or time you get up and how you work that or are you very much spontaneous and and just crack on with what's thrown at you they're both actually depends what day of the week it is yeah it it really does i'm not necessarily good with structure and when i say that i mean i'm doing the same thing every day at the same time my husband will tell you it drives me mad he's very routine and very structured you know he understands exactly how long everything's going to take and and what time are we going to do this today well i'm going to be busy for this 20 minutes da, 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 so we can do that at that time and i'm like please don't please don't do that to me because I, that's i can't operate that way but it doesn't take away from the fact that get up in the morning do something that invigorates your mind whether it's go out for a walk, you know, go for a run, get on the treadmill and do something that wakes you up. I think I said to our team, actually, when we first went into lockdown this time last year, don't forget that if you're working from home, you still need to have that bit, that thing that wakes you up. So even if you've got to, I don't know, walk around the outside of your house five times um, before you sit down at a desk in front of your computer, then, then do those things because you do still need to feel like you've started a new day mm-hmm. and you've yeah. finished your day. Yeah. You need to have that end point or well, start an end point, I suppose. And what what is yours then? What do you need to do to get up in the morning? How do you kick yourself into gear? Well, it's, it's a little different actually now. Because you're in Portugal and you've got swimming pools. So you can just go out <laughs> for a, a morning swim and maybe a margarita and lovely. 
I'd love, I'd love that to be the case, but no. Join the morning call half cut and the day ahead is perfect. <laughs> no, I think they'd spot that a mile off my team. Um, no, it's, it's um, actually the, the change of role from MD to CEO has, has created a bit of um, a change for me. So when, when you're the MD, I think you feel you hold all of the accountability. You have to understand, or certainly I felt I had to understand what was going on in every part of the business. So you'd have a touch point into all of it. And you are also the voice of the business. So everything you say and everything you do and how you communicate and how regularly is really important. So I think when you're in the the crux of that, other MDs might be different, but when I was in the crux of that, I could not think of anything else but work. It's constant all the time. Um, for the moment that I open my eyes in the morning, okay, what have I got today? That's that. I've got that left over from yesterday. I must make sure I do this. I promised I'd do that. And so you're on it. For me, I would actually, my walk in the morning would be to try and get some semblance of order in my head. Now, my responsibility as CEO is different. So um, I look after the marketing of the business. Um, I very much do all of the promotional activity. My job is to make sure that I am developing opportunities with um, supply chain partnerships or business development, whatever it might be. And so there isn't quite so much intensity and structure required. I have to be a bit more free-flowing, I think. Have more headspace. Yes, absolutely, more headspace, yep. Steve Jobs once said, and this is a tenuous link, I'll be honest, Lauren, but we'll go with it, uh, that innovation is the ability to see change as an opportunity, not as a threat. And speaking about, obviously, headspace and the fact that you as a business need to continue to innovate and push the envelope, as, as you said, you know, is, is, does that come into it? Do you have to be able to just make sure that you consolidate everything so that you can continue to innovate because you've reached a capacity beforehand? Yes. I think that, yeah, that's a really, really good reflection of, of exactly what it is you do you do need headspace to think uh, and to be able to even if to imagine what the next thing is or to consider the 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 thought process around what you might as i said before that when you you know previously going into a boardroom as an ops director or md you think the whole thing through but that's the intensity is on the individual task at hand whereas yeah as that kind of innovator leadership role you have to be thinking about it much more um, at bigger picture. Mm-hmm. More long-term almost. And I suppose looking looking back over the last 12, 18 months, um, obviously there's been this small thing called a pandemic that happened. But in terms of innovating during that pandemic, is there anything that you have done over those last couple of months that you don't think you'd have been able to do beforehand simply because the market wasn't right? Do you know, it's interesting. I would actually probably say it would be to do with our promotional activity. with digital but not hugely. You know, we, we very much put value and, and time and investment into physical events, into traveling to see people, same as everybody else has really. Um, but I think we recognize very early on in the pandemic that a lot of our competitors went very quiet, very quickly. And we saw that as a huge opportunity, particularly social media. And so we just went for it. Yeah. Well, those that market through a recession or a pandemic or indeed a disaster often come out the other end in a stronger position simply because people can see that they're resilient and sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very much the the message that we put out. I mean, we have to anyway. Our, our whole offering is about help enabling business to operate. So um, our customers needed to know that we were 
we were there and um, we hadn't closed our office the whole team were operating so it was very very important that we got that out there but we did start to look at additional products and services you know we did bring in thermal um, imaging and we we really went probably hell for leather on that and, and invested quite a bit on the promotional activity around it because as you said it kind of gave us the opportunity to demonstrate to our audience that we we are we can be quick on our feet. Yeah, well, I mean, what are you? You're staffing of 50, 60 now? Yeah. Is that about right? So, I mean, you're still quite agile. You don't have to... There's not a vast amount of people that you need to try and choreograph. No, no, absolutely. Um, which uh, sort of plays into your favour, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's, as you said, what was the difference was the, the speed at which the team worked. I think that's what we recognised in the first three months was we thought, hang on a minute here, we've managed to go up a couple of gears. Why on <laughs> earth have we not been pushing... And, and, you know, maybe using that or recognising that that was there previously. Why is it only now that actually we've we've pushed and the whole team have, have delivered? Yeah, well, disaster sometimes stems opportunity for some business. Um, and actually looking ahead, what does success actually look like for you guys? Now you've kind of got that understanding of, oh, Christ, we actually did a lot more than we thought we could have done. We're a national bit. In fact, we're an international business. We've got we've got contracts in Australia as well. Have you? Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at um, some other external markets um so you know this the states is interesting you know if we're already in australia new zealand has some interesting opportunities all in in that kind of justice sector space so there's a huge opportunity there um and with the existing software and the team that we've got we can we can grow that and and looking back i suppose that when you first started if today you could give yourself a piece of advice you know what what would that be to a younger lauren oh my goodness come out from behind the desk sooner I, I hid, you know, I, I hid in an operational role behind my desk for a long time, not really recognising the confidence and the ability that I had. And I think if somebody had forced me out sooner than I managed to recognise it for myself, I might be a bit further forward. I certainly would have realised what I love a lot sooner. For those that haven't got the ability to be, I suppose, ability, but haven't got, uh, haven't been forced out, so to speak, you know, how would they take that leap when is the right time for somebody to go now i'm going to take a punt now i'm actually going to try and do something a little bit more risky and outside my comfort zone the moment at which you become bored if you're starting to feel unfulfilled in what you're doing i think we human nature we have a tendency to let that drag because we think well it might change next week or you know or my job well i don't like it today but it might get better maybe just i'll just hang on for a few more months. I think once you start to have that feeling, that that's when you need to act. Mm-hmm. Now, do you run off your gut? Yeah. Or do you run off your heart? No. Well, a bit of both, maybe. But, <laughs> or but, head, frankly. There's options of three there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, strangely, the head probably comes last, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. I'm, my board will probably agree with that as well. Uh, it, for me, it's gut. We spend a lot of time dealing with. Um, other people yeah i mean do you manage people on your gut then do you make management decisions based on what your gut's saying or what the numbers are saying on a piece of paper quite often it's gut Mm -hmm. which isn't always right sometimes you need a a numbers person to say come on there's a decision to be made there and you have dragged that on far too long do you have any experience in managing or did you learn on the job i just learned on the job and being a mum (laughs) that is excellent experience i haven't been a mum or indeed a dad so uh still muddling through over here but uh Do you reckon MBAs and things like that are any good? Or do you think actually the best thing to do, a bit like an apprenticeship, is just to to, to learn as you go and ask questions? Well, I, I've been asked a few times, actually, if I would like to do an MBA. I've toyed with it over the years. 
but but I don't think it's necessary. I've actually decided not to do it, um, and because I recognise the only reason I was looking at it was to try and satisfy myself that I could actually get a reasonable grade in a qualification because I didn't in the past. <laughs> back in the day, and then well, you've done all right. You've done all right out the back of it. You don't need to have good grades. I've got one GCSE. I mean, a lot of people we speak to haven't got very good grades at all and they're smashing it yeah and, that, and that's where i think you know is an mba important uh, i don't know I, I think if you feel that you've got uh, limited time to learn and you're you kind of um i don't know you you operate off the back of qualifications and career ladders yeah and study if that's your mm-hmm. thing um, then maybe that's right for you. Academia is certainly not my thing. It seems not to be your thing. But in terms of how people can find can find Bamboo if, they, if they'd like to instruct you guys to um, to do what you guys do best, and that is install excellent high speed internet as you have done for us. How can they How can they find you guys? We uh, are on our website, obviously, which is uh, just bamboo.tech. Uh, you can find us on social media. This is where I should be able to reel off all of our um, tags, of course, which um, well, we'll uh, put it in the description. Handles, yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, that, you know, I'm I'm quite open about uh, about being us being contactable. So uh, my, our mobile numbers are out there, and we made a very conscious decision many years ago to say, look, if you want to pick the phone up to us, you pick the phone up. It's not his our office line because I don't want you to have my mobile. You need to be able to to get to us at any point. But listen, there's there's plenty of promotional activity out there. We're we're sponsors for Circle to Success. We're, we're you know I'm involved in podcasts for oh gosh Revenue Risers, CRN. There's lots of stuff. So yeah, we're we're easy to find. And your LinkedIn is Lauren White, CEO Bamboo, really, isn't it? That's what you used to type in. It and is. Pop up on Google. Yeah, and you might see a few little poems here and there at the moment. Which they're is, excellent. Uh, those poems, they are excellent. What's the reasoning behind those poems then? I don't know about you, Oliver, but I think in the last. 20 years i can't tell you how many books people have recommended to me um, management books have you read any no <laughs> audio books are fine because they just narrate it to you that is the way to do it yeah i just it, it's one of those things i mean for me a book it, it, that's about my relaxation i read fiction mm-hmm. um i don't i don't necessarily want to read management books it's not that i don't want to learn Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to understand new tools and all that good stuff. But I think I don't know that you have to read a whole book for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the poetry thing is, I kind of got to the point a little while ago where I thought, I really don't want to waste the experience that I've got. I'd like to share it. I'd like to help other people if they, because I'm getting quite a lot of requests at the moment for mentoring. And I think if you can put stuff out there that people can read and they can digest it really quickly and take a few pointers from it that's kind of what it's about really is just to to share a bit of my story in a way that's easy to to take in mm. no i think they're have you got a poem to hand i did do a little one for you as well for this just did in you? case you you no. asked yeah i'll go for it let's let's hear our special successes in the mind poem this is a short one so Today, it's Pinpoint Podcast Day with Oliver and Joe. We don't have an agenda, but this is deliberate. And I know that once we start chatting, we will all be at such ease, sharing news and our opinions, creating listener opportunities. With Joe on all the tech controls and Ollie on the mic, we're hoping we can pique your interest and pick up loads of likes. We want you to be walking or sitting at your desk, finding our chat interesting, something new for you to digest. You see, I know that Pinpoint, they are focused on audience shares. Whether visual or audio, they want to help my business and they'd like to promote theirs. This podcast is an example of the lengths that they will go to work with you and your marketing team, putting out your best brand show. And so I'd like to thank them for letting me share some of their time to promote a little about Bamboo, me and my latest business support tool, 
business in rhyme. I love that's the this is the best thing that's ever happened on a podcast, and we've had many many things happen. Um, inspired, I had no idea. Joe's very happy that you got a mention over there. Look at that. that how long did that take you to write? Uh, I it was a few minutes this morning. Oh right, okay. I thought you slaved away for no, hours. No, on. there are no. some that I I have slaved away at, but. Um, yeah, I just I did think today. I thought, oh no, I'm I was quite looking forward to this today. So I thought I'll, I'll put a few lines together so that you uh, you get a sense of how I was um, feeling about it. No, that's also I was looking forward. To. I've really actually really enjoyed it, and that is that is an excellent end to one of my favourite ever podcasts. So Lauren, thank you ever so much. Enjoy the sun in Portugal, and let's grab a drink when you come back to the UK. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Oliver. If you're looking for more stories from inspirational entrepreneurs, then check out The Serial Entrepreneur from Startups Magazine, a digital and print publication that champions tech startups. You can find them by searching The Serial Entrepreneur, as in your breakfast, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. Without you, this podcast is literally pointless. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to climb the rankings. And if you want to join me on the show or know somebody else who will fit the bill, please contact me via LinkedIn at Oliver Bruce online. Thanks again for listening. Take care.